Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're with us, and we hope to meet you here face-to-face soon. Um, Open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Some of y'all ain't looking at your Bible. What's going on? Uh, hey, uh, some of you, if you're, if you're like brand new here, you're thinking, what kind of place is this? Preacher's like taking his clothes off and the sermon just started, you know? Breathe easy, all right? Let me, let me run you through a hypothetical scenario and see if you've ever been there before. You wake up in the morning, you like throw your feet out of bed, you're still kind of in zombie mode, half awake, maybe you're running five minutes late and you're not fully conscious and you start throwing your clothes on, going through your normal routine on autopilot pilot when all of a sudden you look down and you're like, uh-oh, we got a problem, right? Like the bottom two buttons aren't lining up here. And yet if you have a problem here, the problem reveals itself with the bottom buttons of your shirt, but the problem's not actually with the bottom button, is it? The problem started way back up here at the top button, like you didn't get the right button in the right slot, and so on and so forth on down the line. So if you wanna fix this bottom button problem, you can't just fix the bottom button, you actually have to like work your way all the way back up to the top, and then if you get the top button aligned, so on and so forth down the shirt, and the bottom button will kinda take care of itself, got it? Now, I'm gonna make you a deal this morning. If you promise to pay attention to the whole sermon, I promise to keep my clothes on. Sound good? (laughs) All right, you're welcome, okay? Um, Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four is where we're gonna be. Like Kyle said, we're in this series right now called All Hail the King, where we're walking through the life of Jesus as recorded by this guy named Mark, and we've seen Jesus going around announcing and demonstrating that the kingdom of heaven has come near, and he's saying that he is the one true king. He's the one, let me see. I don't even know if I got the top button. There we go. Okay, all right. Uh, We're good. All right, Um, Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41 is our text for the day. I'm gonna read out loud the words in white, and I want you to read out loud with me the words in yellow. Here we go. Mark writes this. He says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now you might remember um, last week we talked about how um, over the last three years since COVID, all this social and political and economic and relational upheaval that we've been through, we've been in the middle of this mental health crisis in our country. Like, it seems like the temperature's turned up on everything. Our counseling centers are just absolutely overrun. And so we talked about how that can display itself in a, in a wide variety of ways. But like three of the primary ways that that displays itself, or we talked about the three A's, anger, apathy, and anxiety. And we talked about how actually if you're 
feeling anger, apathy, and anxiety, those are bottom button problems. They're not actually top button problems. So, and so anytime you're feeling a little anxious or a little angry or a little apathetic, that's like a, on your spiritual dashboard, that's like a warning light on the surface level pointing you to a soul level problem. So what I wanna do with you in light of Mark chapter four today is I wanna walk back and I wanna take a look at these bottom button issues that we all face in life and I wanna work our way back to the top button source. Let's talk about the difference between top button problems and bottom button problems. And so let me set the scene here for what we just read that's happening in Mark chapter four. Jesus has been teaching all day. The crowds are absolutely massive. And so Jesus is teaching actually from a boat. The water there kind of on the shoreline would act as a natural amplifier so all the crowds would hear him. He's on the Sea of Galilee. Now we've talked about the Sea of Galilee a lot so far in the Gospel of Mark. We know it's not actually a sea, it's more of a lake, right? 13 miles long, eight miles wide, 685 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the planet and it's surrounded by by these hills, and, and, and they'll tell you that the, the cold mountain air will come rushing down off these hills, and it mingles with the warm air there at water level, and I'm no meteorologist, but I did grow up in Tornado Alley, okay? So I like kind of know what happens with the whole warm air, cold air mixing thing, and today, even to this day, they'll tell you the storms on the Sea of Galilee can stir up in just a second out of nowhere. They're incredibly chaotic, and so Jesus, he's been teaching all day. He tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. They hop in their boat. And like when I get home on a Sunday afternoon after preaching, I'm a zombie. Like I am trashed. I'm no good. My family will tell you I can't even put words together. Jesus is exhausted after teaching. And so he falls asleep there in the bottom of the boat. And now, um, listen, I was a little shameless, a little vulnerable with you here a minute ago with that whole thing. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable and shameless with me in response. I'm going to need a little bit of audience participation this morning, okay? So I want you to channel your inner eight-year-old, and we're going to retell this story together. I want you to do what I do. Got it? Can we do that? Okay, here we go. So uh, Jesus and the disciples, they get in the boat. They're rowing across the lake. The disciples are. Jesus falls asleep, and all of a sudden it starts to sprinkle. Okay, rub your hands together. We can do this? All right. Starts to sprinkle, they're rowing across the lake, it's late at night, it's pitch black, no big deal, just a little drizzle, right? But it starts to pick up a little bit. Again, just a light rain, ain't no big thing, they're fishermen, they're used to this, but it's a little uncomfortable, and then the rain starts to pick up a little bit. And it starts to rain like more and more and, and, and more, and the, and the waves start going, and eventually like there's water getting the boat, and the guys in the back of the boat are hollering to the guys in the front of the boat, row harder, and the guys in the front of the boat are hollering to the guys in the back of the boat, we are, and they're like, hey, it's a big storm, keep going, okay? Um, and, and they're like, we gotta wake Jesus up. We, and so they're like, teacher, get up, and Jesus stands up, and he takes one look around, and he sees how scared his disciples are, and he looks around, and he says, peace, be still. Good job, give yourself a hand, yeah, good job. Well done, well done. <laughs> And the disciples are terrified. Who is this guy? I mean, even, even the wind and the waves obey him. I love this story. The best part about this story is that it's true, right? This actually happened. And it's tricky, though, that even though it's true, sometimes it's hard to take these stories that happened 20 centuries ago and figure out how exactly to apply them to our lives today. And so for today's purposes, I actually just want to look at two of those bottom button experiences that the disciples had that night on the Sea of Galilee that I think are common button button, uh, bottom button. This is going to be a tongue twisting kind of day, all right? Two bottom button experiences that all of us go through and see how Jesus speaks into that this morning. So the, the first one, the first bottom button problem that they experienced that night, that we experienced too, is quite simply this. They're thinking, this storm is big and I'm scared. 
Anybody else been there? This storm is big and I'm scared. This painting was painted 400 years ago. This scene by the famous artist Rembrandt, I think he did a pretty good job of capturing just how chaotic that experience must have been for the disciples. And, and listen, these guys, a lot of them were fishermen. They grew up on the sea. They don't scare easy, but they're scared. There's something different about this storm. And all throughout scripture, the sea is kind of used as this symbol of uncontrollable evil and chaos. And so, so they're scared. And actually, the way that Mark tells us this story is intentionally meant to remind us of another storm in the Bible. Can you think of what it might be? Did this remind you of anything? You remember the story of Jonah? Anybody remember the story of Jonah? From way back in the Old Testament, Jonah was this prophet. And, and tell me if this sounds familiar. Jonah's this prophet, and God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go, so he gets the brilliant idea that he's going to run away from God. He hops on this boat that's headed the opposite direction. But as he's running away from God, a storm comes up. These seasoned sailors are scared. They're looking for Jonah. He's nowhere to be found. He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Does this sound familiar? And they go shake Jonah awake. One thing leads to another, and Jonah ends up saying, listen, this storm's because of me. Throw me overboard. They do, and the storm is calm. And so I don't know, but the disciples, they were good little Jewish boys. They, they grew up in synagogue. They knew their Old Testaments. Maybe, just maybe, as they're out there rowing and bailing water in the middle of this storm, maybe they're thinking about the story of Jonah, except there's a fundamental difference between their story and Jonah's story. Jonah got put in that storm because he disobeyed God. The disciples ended up in this storm because they obeyed God. Jesus is the one who brought them out here. Jesus is the one who told them to go out onto the water, and now they're, they're scared. I don't know what it is for you, but for them, it was this bottom button experience of this storm is big, and I'm scared, and maybe you felt that too, the anger, apathy, anxiety kind of thing. I don't know what the storm thing is for you, but when your bottom buttons here don't line up, and you're feeling like worried. Maybe you worry about your kids. I don't know what the thing is in the back of your mind. Maybe you worry about your grandkids, your money, your health, your job, a, a task coming or something on your calendar. Maybe you're worried about the state of our country. Maybe you're just worried and you don't even know why you're worried. You're just scared and you're tired and you're anxious and you're stressed. And sometimes, if you're totally honest, in the middle of that bottom button experience of fear, it just doesn't look like Jesus is helping Sometimes it feels like he's asleep in the boat. And so that leads then to the second bottom button experience that the disciples have and that sometimes we have too. And it's that Jesus isn't helping and I'm angry. Like I'm, I'm going through a storm here and this dude's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Maybe for you, if, if the bottom button doesn't line up, maybe for you it's not apathy. Maybe it's not anxiety. Maybe for you it's anger. That if you're just totally honest this morning, kind of under the surface, there's that low level rage just always boiling, waiting to come out. Maybe you're frustrated about things that you know you shouldn't be frustrated at, and that's frustrating. It's just that endless cycle. I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is, judging on the tone of this text, again, I'm not in the disciples' heads, but maybe, just maybe, they're looking at Jesus asleep, and they're angry about this whole thing is going. I, again, I don't know how the conversation went, but maybe, maybe James hollers out to Andrew, and he says, hey, Andrew, like we need all hands on deck here. You go wake that guy up, tell him to get a bucket and start bailing some water. And Andrew says, I ain't waking him up. You wake him up. Like, did you see what he did to those? And, and, and they go back and forth, and, and who do you think it was? My guess is it was Peter, right? He goes and shakes Jesus awake, and look, look, what, look what happens. It says the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care 
Can you hear it? There's a little bit of anger under there. Um, Listen, I don't know what the bottom button thing is for you, but have you ever felt that before? Like maybe you've wondered before, God, do you see me? Are you even here? And if you are here, why aren't you doing something? Do you even care? Maybe you've been praying for something for so long, over and over and over again, and it just doesn't seem like God is doing anything. Maybe you've been praying for that wayward child or grandchild, but they keep wandering further and further away. Maybe it's the people in your life who are supposed to love you unconditionally, but they're rejecting you. Maybe you've been in remission, but the doctor just came back and said it's cancer. Maybe you're close to retirement, but to be honest, you look at those accounts and you're just not sure how you're gonna make it work. Maybe you've been trying and trying to start a family, and yet time after time, you're met with disappointment and you just feel like a failure. I don't know what your pain is this morning, but I do know that there's a broken heart inside every chest in this room right now. And if we're totally honest, maybe for you, the bottom button thing is that sometimes we're just angry. Like, Jesus, aren't you gonna do something? Jesus, don't you care? Um, There's a book titled, God is Never Late, but he has scared me to death a few times. (laughs) And, And Jesus, he sees his disciples fear and he hears their angry request and and, and he meets it. He says, quiet, be still. And the wind and the waves and the storm obey him. And it says that beforehand, like in the storm, the disciples were scared. But now in the calm, verse 41 says they were terrified. They're even more scared. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Like, listen, by this point in the Gospel of Mark, they've, they've seen Jesus do some stuff. They've seen him cast out demons. Peter, we saw him heal your mother-in-law. We've seen him preach the kingdom. We've heard him tell stories. We've seen him cleanse lepers, and that was all amazing. But this thing that just happened, that's another level. You see, remember, the disciples were good little Jewish boys. They'd grown up in synagogue. They memorized their Old Testaments, and they knew that there's only one who can calm the storm. The book of Psalms in your Bible in the Old Testament is kind of right smack in the middle of your Bible. That was the Jewish songbook. Like that's what they would have grown up singing, their worship services. And, and so the disciples, they would have known the words. They would have known the tune. They would have grown up singing Psalm 89. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. The disciples, they would have grown up singing Psalm 65. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior. Having armed yourself with strength, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations? The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. They would have grown up singing things like Psalm 93. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, but mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. The disciples know that if Jesus can calm the storm, then Jesus is God. They know that there's only one who can do this. And it's the God who spoke those very waters into existence, the God who brought the flood in the days of Noah, the God who calmed the storm in the days of Jonah, the God who parted the Red Sea for Moses and the Jordan for Joshua. This is God in human flesh riding in their boat. And we see Jesus' full humanity on display as he's exhausted and falls asleep and takes a nap. But we see his full divinity on display as even creation bows to do his will. Who is this man? This is God in human flesh in their boat. And they're terrified. Now remember, that's the same Jesus who's here with us. 
right now. So when's the last time you had such a big view of God that it left you like that? When's the last time you beheld God's glory to such a degree that it left you in awe, trembling with the fear of the Lord, terrified? If it's been a while, there's a guy named J.B. Phillips who wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And my guess is when most of us think about Jesus, our mental image of him is not quite big enough. The great spiritual writer A.W. Tozer says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when you think about Jesus? What's the picture in your head? My guess is that for a lot of us, we kind of just picture Jesus as this nice guy, kind of this itinerant therapist who went around helping people and spreading good vibes and, and helping people get better and feel better about themselves. And yet that's not exactly the picture we've gotten so far here in the Gospel of Mark. Like some people think of Jesus more as Mr. Rogers than Mr. T, if you catch my drift, okay? It's like we've taken the second person of the Trinity and we've stuck him into our theological dryers and we've shrunk him down to a more manageable size so he's just kind of our extra large buddy in the sky rather than the great lion of Judah, the creator and sustainer of all things, king of kings and lord of lords, judge of the universe. And so these bottom button symptoms that we experience in life of, of some anger and some apathy and some anxiety, these are all just symptoms that point us to the top level condition that we tend to suffer from. I've heard it called JDD, Jesus Deficit Disorder, as if we're looking at him through the wrong end of the telescope and we're seeing him smaller than he actually is. And so we've arrived now at the top button truth that we need to reclaim together today. It's not profound or complicated, but it is deep. And it's that Jesus is strong enough to save. That's the top button truth that everything else flows from. Jesus is strong enough to save. Now, um, let's say that you're a, a reporter live on location and you show up here in this scene and you ask the disciples, uh, hey guys, what's your biggest problem right now? My guess is they'd say, well, I don't know, maybe this storm that's about to capsize our boat and drown us all? And yet Jesus seems to imply that that's actually just a bottom button issue. And the top button issue is something deeper. Jesus actually seems to imply that their biggest problem is not something outside of them, but something inside of them. Did you catch Jesus' response here after he calms the storm and they're terrified? Verse 40 says, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? There's the top button issue. He says the top button issue is that you don't trust yet that I'm strong enough to save. Why do you still have no faith? Um, the other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, each record this story for us as well. And in Matthew's account, Jesus actually kind of gently calls his disciples a name. He says, oh, you of little faith, why were you so afraid? In the Greek, it's just one word, little faiths. He says, oh, little faiths. Why were you afraid? Why, why did you doubt? Now, that's a little surprising to us, right? Because like Jesus, like you'd think gale force winds threatening you with like impending doom. That's a legitimate thing to be afraid of, right? And yet Jesus, again, is showing us the difference between top button problems and bottom button problems. He's showing us that the problems around you Reveal the problems within you. 
This is our working theory about COVID, by the way. I'm not sure COVID actually brought any like new problems to us at all. I don't think it introduced anything new. It just kind of magnified and turned the volume up on all those problems that were already there. It just kind of amplified the, the anxiety and the apathy and the anger that was already under the surface. The problems around you just reveal the problems within you. So if you've got your steel-toed boots on this morning, I'm gonna step on your toes. You ready? I'm gonna say something you might not wanna hear. Maybe God allows the problems around you so that he can work on the problems within you. Maybe God allows the problems around you so that he can work on the problems within you. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe God allows the problems around you so that he can work on the problems within you. Now, please don't mishear me because God is a good father. He does not delight to see his children suffer. God does not cause all the evil and the pain and the suffering that we experience in this life. We are living in a fallen world with sinful people who have free will. There is a real enemy, a real devil who's prowling around like a lion seeking to steal and kill and destroy and devour. We do not say everything happens for a reason. You guys have heard me on this soapbox before. We don't say everything happens for a reason because that unintentionally makes God complicit in the evil of the universe. But we do say that anything can be redeemed and that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We say anything can be redeemed, but, 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 but. Remember how the disciples got out in this storm. Jesus told them to cross the lake. He's the one who brought them out here. Maybe God allows the problems around you so that he can work on the problems within you. Jesus brought them out into this storm not to drown them, but to teach them. And so maybe, just maybe, Jesus wants to look at you today. If you're wrestling with some of this bottom button stuff, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling a little apathetic about some things, maybe Jesus wants to look at you this morning and say, oh, little faiths, why are you so afraid? And he wants to bring you back to the top button truth that he is strong enough to save. And really practically, if you will realign everything under the truth that Jesus is strong enough to save, if you'll come back right there and start with that every single day, my guess is that'll bring two tangible benefits to your life, two changes to your life. And here's the first one. You'll have big faith peace. Big faith peace. If you wake up every day, you get out of bed and you fasten yourself to the reality that Jesus is strong enough to save, You'll have big faith peace. Jesus had that peace right here in this story. We see him sleeping in the bottom of the boat perfectly fine. That's because Jesus also grew up singing the Psalms like the other disciples. And Jesus remembered Psalm 4, which says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, makes me dwell in safety. It's interesting. Um, we're suffering from a collective sleep deficit in our country. Uh, back in the year 1910, the average American slept over nine hours a night. Anybody else, aver anybody averaging over nine hours a night right now? Okay, all right, we, we've fallen far. Actually, the average now is less than seven. We all know we're not at our best when we're tired, right? And we could give a million reasons for this, some of them medical, of course, but a lot more than that, a lot of the time, it's just because we're, tr we're trying to do everything, we're busier than ever, we're trying to hold it all together, we're trying to prove that we're omniscient and all, we're omnipotent and, and we're omnipresent and, and that we can hold it all together and we've got artificial light and we're slaves to our screens and all those kinds of things. But what if, what if, what if? What if sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is take a nap? 
Can I get an amen this morning, okay? Maybe sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just say, you know what? God's God, and I'm not. I can't hold it all together, but he can, so I'm going to go take a nap. That's your homework for this afternoon. Y'all can do this, all right? Sometimes we just need to attach ourselves to the reality, top button, that Jesus is strong enough to save, and so I can rest. Now, some of you in the room might be thinking, all right, preacher, that sounds a little flippant, though, because you have no idea the kind of storm I'm in. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know um, that I'm not promising you peace, but Jesus is promising you peace, no matter the storm that you're in. Um, in my hometown of Joplin, Missouri, there is an artist by the name of Jack Dawson. And I attended Ozark Christian College, and they sell some of Jack Dawson's paintings there in the bookstore at Ozark. And Jack Dawson, he's a Christian, and so he wants to make his art like a, like a message, almost like a sermon. And so he uh, painted this one painting called Peace in the Midst of the Storm. And you'll see there a big storm. There's wind, lightning, and, and rain, and all kinds of stuff. But there hidden in the cleft of the rock, there's a little bird in a nest. Protected by the rock. There's peace in the midst of the storm. And that rock is supposed to symbolize God who is our refuge in the storm. That you can have peace no matter what the chaos is going on around you. Um, a couple years ago marked the 10th anniversary of the tornado that destroyed my hometown of Joplin, Missouri. I still remember it just like it was yesterday. It was May 22nd, 2011, a sleepy Sunday afternoon. And all of a sudden the tornado sirens started going off and they went off all the time. And so we didn't take it all that seriously, but this one was different. At 5.41 p.m., an EF5 twister, a mile wide, 200 mile an hour winds, swept through the heart of town, leaving a path of destruction 13 miles long. This path of destruction, 8,000 homes destroyed, 101, excuse me, 161 people dead by the time it was over. Some of them are friends. And yet my story is that there were many more lives saved that day by the hand of God. Um, I was outside of town that evening at a, at a church thing and uh, I had to be somewhere on the north side of town and I kept trying to leave and, and one of the ministers at the church, he wouldn't let me leave because he thought the weather was bad and you know I was, I was a teenager and thinking, what do you know, man? But I'm really grateful he, he, he wouldn't let me leave because I would have driven right into the storm. When he did let me leave, I actually followed the tornado just a couple minutes behind it into town. The thing was, none of us knew it was a tornado. We'd all seen tornadoes and funnel clouds before, but this one was rain-wrapped so you couldn't see the funnel cloud. It just looked like a big rainstorm. So I'm following this, what I thought was a rainstorm into town and I get there just a couple minutes after the destruction and the whole town looks like this. And it's very obvious this was no rainstorm. This was a huge catastrophe. The cell phone towers were all down. I had no idea where my family was. It was several hours before we were able to connect. I got together with some other friends. We went to go look for some people that we knew. Um, my family... They were um, on a different side of town. My parents helped run the children's ministry there at my little home church, and they'd taken the kids there on that Sunday evening on a field trip to go play in a park. And as they're playing in a park, they heard the tornado sirens go off, and they saw the clouds gathering on the horizon. So they got all the kids in the church vans, and they headed off to go find shelter. But as they're driving in this caravan of church vans, the wind gets worse, and the rain gets worse, and, and they had no idea. But remember, you couldn't see the funnel cloud. It was rain-wrapped. They were driving right into the tornado itself and they couldn't tell but just before they got to the heart of the storm a tree fell across the road and and the lead vehicle of the caravan came skidding to a stop my mom was driving that vehicle and it's kind of crunch 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 all right behind that the whole caravan is now stranded in the middle of the road the storm's getting so bad that they just got everybody out of all the vehicles they ran to the nearest house they could find and all these kids an old couple um, opened the door and they all went down and sheltered through the storm together in their basement and 
And after they'd ridden out the storm and the noise had passed, they came outside to discover that just a couple hundred yards past where that tree had fallen were the first fatalities of the tornado. I believe that God spared my family that day and that he spared that whole caravan of kids. And I also recognize that for me to say that means that I also have to say that God chose not to spare 161 other people. And so I'm not gonna profess to you to understand this morning exactly how God works in all of these scenarios. I, I don't always understand it. But what I do know is that God promises peace. Another one of our family friends, his name's John Hunter. He served as the librarian there at Ozark Christian College. And uh, he sat down that Sunday evening at 5.30 to eat with his wife and with his granddaughter. And the sirens went off and it became clear this was a different kind of storm. And so they all went to go shelter in the bathroom. They got in the bathtub together and John covered his granddaughter with his body. And he later said that the sound of the storm was like a giant pounding their house with his fist. Sucked the roof off and two by fours and sheetrock and glass and metal all came falling down on them. And finally, when the noise was over, they opened the bathroom door, which was now their front door because it was the only room left standing in their house. This isn't a great picture, but this right here is the bathroom where John Hunter and his family had taken shelter. And they came out of the bathroom to discover all of the destruction, and they noticed that on the only remaining wall of their house, there was one picture miraculously still hanging. Jack Dawson's peace in the midst of the storm. Listen, I can't promise you that God's gonna bring you through every storm exactly the way that you want him to. But he promises you peace. No matter how intense the anger, the apathy, the anxiety, he promises that if you will fasten yourself daily to the reality that he is strong enough to save, he will give you even what he calls a peace that surpasses understanding. We read it last week in Philippians chapter four where Paul says the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you will attach yourself to the reality that Jesus is strong enough to save, you will get big faith peace. But there's a second change that you'll also experience in your life, and it's this. You'll also get to experience big faith prayer. And big faith prayer is actually the precursor to big faith peace. We, we read Philippians 4, 7. Let's back it up one more verse though. In, in Philippians 4, 6, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Big faith prayer, then big faith peace. Now, to some extent, we could say that that night on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples kind of did this, right? Like they brought their petition. They brought their request to Jesus. And yet it was kind of a little faith request, wasn't it? What'd they ask Jesus to do? They said, hey, just wake up, man. Grab a bucket, we need some help bailing water. They were asking Jesus to bail water. They didn't yet realize that because Jesus is strong enough to save, he had something infinitely better for them in mind. So my gentle encouragement to you this morning is that if you're in a storm with Jesus, don't just ask him to bail water. Trust that he's strong enough to save and ask him for something big. And I understand that sometimes we pray these little faith prayers that are a little more vague because we don't wanna feel like we're imposing our will on God's will and, and what if he doesn't answer the way that I want, that might shake my faith. But I'm encouraging you, like, what, what if this happened? What if we became a church that prayed big faith prayers and we asked Jesus for bold things? Like I'm talking, what if you asked him to save the most immoral person that you know? What if you asked him to expose and to eliminate every shred of sin in your heart? 
What if you asked him to get rid of the cancer? What if you asked him to restore your marriage that is on the brink? What if you asked him to set free your friend from addiction? What if we became a church full of big faith prayers, of dangerous prayers, because we know the Lord of the storm? We've said it before and we'll say it again that the greatest obstacle we face is not the wickedness of the world, but the prayerlessness of the church. Jesus is strong enough to save. Man, can you imagine if we did this together? If we became a church that was devoted to big faith prayer together? There was a recent study that came out that said uh, that apart from a major move of God and radical discipleship of the next generation, that the Western church is now in a state of irreversible decline. I don't want to spend my life managing the decline of the Western church. Do you? And I believe God can do more than that. I mean, we've heard that story before. Um, just this last week, Time Magazine celebrated its 100th anniversary, 100 years of Time Magazine chronicling the story of our country with those red-bordered covers, famous covers. Back in 1966, they could tell the story of our country with this one question. Time Magazine said in 1966, is God dead? I mean, the country's being torn apart by the civil rights movement and the sexual revolution and the Vietnam War, and, and haven't we as a rational society moved past the idea of a God? Is God dead? Can't we get past this? And then just five years later, Time Magazine told a very different story in 1971. Their cover said that actually, our country's now experiencing a Jesus revolution. Some of you have seen the movie. Five years to change the story. A generation of hippies deciding they're going to seek the Lord and generations were changed. The spiritual landscape of our country was altered. Five years. I think God can do that again, don't you? I think Jesus is strong enough to save. Man, as you look at the history of our country, it's really interesting. Every 40, 50, 60 years, we see this renewal, revival, awakening kind of moment happening. It started before even the American Revolution in the 1700s. There was the Great Awakening that changed the spiritual landscape of the colonies. Then after the American Revolution, 40, 50, 60 years later, there's the Second Great Awakening right around the turn of the century, the 1800s. And, and our movement of churches was born out of that. This is our spiritual heritage. And then 40, 50, 60 years later, there was the Businessman's Revival in 1857, turned New York City upside down. 40, 50, 60 years later, there's the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, swept across the city, gave birth to the charismatic movements that many of them are still going strong today. 40, 50, 60 years later, there's the Jesus Movement. And 40, 50, 60 years later, here we are. We're due. Let's pray some big faith prayers. Let's believe that Jesus is strong enough to save. Listen, we have seen the best churches and the best movements that man can build crumble and fall. And I think Jesus can do something better. I love what Ian e. Bounds says. He says that the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men and women. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but he comes on men and women. He does not anoint plans. He anoints men and women, men and women of prayer. They say that outside of a major move of God and radical discipleship of the next generation, that the Western church is now in a state of irreversible decline. A major move of God, radical discipleship of the next generation, God could do that. Jesus is strong enough to save. We know the Lord of the storm. Let's be people of big faith prayer because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray.
as you, as you bring your heart into God's presence here, would you just be honest before him? Would you pull into your mind the thing that makes you angry? Or the areas where you've gotten apathetic and a little lazy, if you're honest? Would you bring before him your anxiety, that worry that lurks in the back of your mind? And would you just hold it up before him in his presence? King Jesus, you see us. You know us completely. You're not asleep. And Jesus, we are coming to you in confidence that you are the God who calmed the storm. And even more than that, Jesus, we're coming to you because we know that you died and that you actually rose again and that you really are alive and that you ascended up into heaven where you are seated right now at the right hand of God the Father on your throne, reigning as King of kings, as Lord of lords, and that one day you will return and you will make all things new. Nothing is impossible for you. You're God. You can do whatever you want. And so, God, we're coming to you in faith, and you see us, God, you know how fickle and how weak my faith is. I just have a little shred of belief, just a seed. But would you increase our faith, God? Would you increase our faith? Father, for my brothers and sisters in this room, I'm asking that you would speak your peace to them that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would turn your face toward them and that you would give them your peace. And Father, forgive us for when we just ask you to bail water. We are here trusting with every little shred of faith that we can muster that you are the God who can still calm the storm and we do wanna see a major move of God in our time. And we do wanna see radical discipleship of the next generation. I'm asking that you would do it here in this room among us. I'm asking that in this place, you would raise up a generation with clean hands and pure hearts who will seek your face, God. And that in us, the story would change so that the world could know you and that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is our prayer. We offer it in faith. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.